Welcome to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast, a show dedicated to the storytelling that happens or should happen when practitioners purchase technology. Each episode is designed to inspire new ways and ideas to make your business better as we speak with the brightest minds in recruitment and HR tech. That's what we do. Here's your host, William Tincup. Ladies and gentlemen, this is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Use Case Podcast. Today, we have Charlotte on from Inclusivity. We'll be talking about the use case, the business case that our prospects use uh, to purchase inclusivity. So let's just jump right into it. Charlotte, would you do us a favor and introduce both yourself and inclusivity? Yep. Um, So I'm Charlotte. I am the co-founder, one of the co-founders and CEO of Inclusively. Um, and I started this company a few years ago. My um, cousin became the first licensed facialist in the state of Florida with Down syndrome. And after getting my first facial from her, I noticed that it was very easy um, and free for her employers to make some slight adjustments to her working environment and obviously the incredible impact that it had on her career. And so I wanted to figure out how can we use technology to make it really, really, really easy for employers to accommodate candidates at scale. Um, So fast forward to now, we've um, launched at the end of 2020, um, and we're a platform that helps employers um, access candidates with disabilities and provide them accommodations in a really seamless and easy way. I love it. You've used the word accommodations or accommodate like four times, and it's just, uh, it's A, it's refreshing. Uh, because I have kids that have, need accommodations at school. So it's good to kind of hear the, the word, but it is also kind of nice to make it mainstream for, for HR and for recruiting. What have, uh, what have you found as you've talked to people and mentioned accommodations? Uh, what's been the reception for you? So I think that traditionally employers have um, viewed accommodations from the lens of legal and compliance, um, and they viewed it really reactively. So you only kind of react if someone requests one, um, but there's not really a proactive strategy, um, both internally within the team that manages accommodations, but also if you think about it, um, you know, if one of your children, they, they request an accommodation at school, they're not sent through a legal and compliance process. The teachers at the front door are accommodating them. Um, and so I think that's one of the biggest shifts and one of the biggest impacts that employers can have is making accommodations ubiquitous across their organization and making it um, everyone's responsibility to know how to accommodate different people. Because at the end of the day, um, accommodations don't just benefit people with disabilities, they they benefit everyone. Um, and so what we've seen in terms of the, the perception of the word accommodations is that, you know, initially and early on, I we found that a lot of people just immediately, you know, wanted to call their lawyer. <laughs> um, but I think now people are starting to realize and, and COVID really helped accelerate this, um, that everyone wants accommodations and lots of people can benefit from them. Um, and especially as you mentioned, your children, you know, kids are now growing up in a in a education system that accommodates them. And so they're graduating and, and going on to, you know, work at employers where they're expecting to be accommodated as well. Um, and so, you know, the need and the drive to be able to accommodate people at scale is not just altruistic and doing the right thing, but it's becoming mainstream for this next generation of the workforce. 
I love that. Let's unpack that because this is uh, accommodations in general, but more specifically, kind of what you're doing to help uh, your recruiters and HR find talent. You can kind of see it becoming uh, at least painted with a brush of, oh, this is the nice thing to do. This is a good thing to do. Yeah. Right. And uh, I'd like to skip through that uh, to the, like, this is actually really business savvy. Uh, You're opening up a talent pool that previously you probably wouldn't have been or had access to. Uh, This is just smart. Whether or not. (laughs) So, First of all, again, that's just me talking. What's what's been your range of kind of how you've seen prospects and customers kind of position it internally? I think you're absolutely right. Um, like we can get in the door and get a meeting because it sounds like what we're doing is the right thing to do and the nice thing to do. Right. Um, but at the end of the day, we're not closing deals for that reason. Um, especially with when we're when you're selling into HR. Um, you know, it's hard for them to part with their dollars. They're not funded as um, abundantly as, you know, other maybe revenue generating parts of the business, which is ironic because ultimately people are generating the revenue. Um, And so, but I, I actually find this as a good thing because in my opinion, you know, Charitable initiatives, they, they're they great at bringing awareness um, and helping drive the change, but business is what's sustainable. Um, and so I think we've really been pushed, um, you know, over the past few years to define the business case um, and to move past just, oh, you know, everyone's talking about DEI, you should too, but to actually make these hires and see the benefits. Um, so I can jump in and talk about, you know, some of the ways in which we articulate that to our customers. Yeah, let's do that. Let's let's start there because I have a couple yeah. other things. Up. Go ahead. So, so I think one of the things... Um, that we kind of already touched on, but the you know workforce is shifting. Um, over fifty percent of the workforce is now Gen Z and millennials, um, and they're ten times more likely to leave their job because of a toxic culture. And the number one reason that they're citing um, a toxic culture is failure to promote diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, so, in order for a company to remain uh, competitive in attracting and retaining the, the talent of the next generation. They actually have to become more inclusive in their practices and and broaden their processes so that, um, you know, the same pattern matching that's been working for decades, um, it's it's enabled some people to be successful, but um, we need to enable everyone to have the chance of being successful at getting hired. And I think the next generation of the workforce is demanding that, which means um, it puts the the onerous on businesses to actually act on it if they want to be able to um, remain competitive in terms of talent. Um, I also um, think that another business case, and we find this a lot with some of the kind of high volume, high turnover jobs that we do. So like in customer support, call center, um, people with disabilities are proven to have a far higher retention rate not because they have a disability. It's because when you accommodate someone, you're making them more productive and successful. And so therefore they're, they're happier and more loyal in their position. Um, so that kind of practice could be replicated across, you know, any, the, the entire organization, um, opening up the ability to be flexible with people so that they can be loyal, happy, productive, and, and successful. Um, and I think, you know, then there's the other sort of um, you know, costs that are associated with high turnover that you can really start to quantify as you embed a program like inclusively at your company um, and comparing sort of 
the turnover rates between our candidates and others um, and seeing how that's impacting, you know, the costs associated with recruiting and training and, you know, productivity loss, et cetera. I love it. One of the things that, that you brought up is, is the access to this talent pool. And I wanted to kind of for the audience sake, um, give us some insight into this talent pool. How are they similar? How are they different? Uh, what are some of the things that we rules of the road, if we will? Like, what are some of the things that we need to know about interacting with this this talent pool? So firstly, like the disability spectrum is so broad, even, you know, there's lots of companies that have autism at work programs and the autism spectrum is incredibly broad. So we cover anything from um, autism and Down syndrome to stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, chronic illnesses, physical disabilities, everything. Um, so there's kind of not one size fits all, which is why we believe our platform makes it really easy to be flexible at scale across many, many different use cases. Right. Um, but I think that, you know, in terms of of kind of what's the same, I think a lot of people sort of um, and, and the way I feel like the government has the current system set up, it's just get them a job. Um, but you know, people with disabilities are the same as as everyone. Like you want career progression, you want to be feel valued and and productive, and um, it shouldn't be treated as you know simply hiring someone is checking the box. It's all the same things that any other candidate would want. I think what's different is that when you can accommodate someone in the interview, um, that's a big thing that's been overlooked in the past. Of course, you can have, you know, the physical accommodations. Many of them are legally required in facilities. Um, but things like giving people information ahead of time for an interview. If you're using a screen reader, that's going to be incredibly helpful to be able to digest information um, before getting on to a call where maybe you're going to have to be using a screen reader and speaking at the same time. Um, for people with autism, it would be maybe adjusting a panel interview so that you're having um, one-on-ones instead of a panel if you don't perform well in a in a big group. Um, I think, you know, from a what what people should know at a high level is that, you know, you can ask you, you should be asking anyone you interview if they require accommodations. Um, because if you open that door, it's more likely that they're going to feel comfortable actually disclosing to you what what could make them more successful. And that in turn should turn into a more productive interview and a, and a more transparent, open relationship uh, should the person get hired. So one of the things uh, about accommodations, it's, uh, you know, you, on one level, you have to, you have to know what, what you need to thrive. Yeah. Right. So, so some of this is a personal uh, odyssey to find out, okay, well, what is, what are those things that I need to, to, uh, to thrive, not just survive or, or do okay. Uh, but also that I've got to not only be able to inventory, understand those things, I've then got to communicate those things to others, uh, be it in my personal life. And in, and in this case, in my professional life. So on one level, I want to ask you the question of how do we help candidates with that or do we? Uh, and B is is how do we educate employers, recruiters, and and HR in particular on how to have the how to have accommodations conversations comfortably uh, about yourself, about about them, etc. To then kind of get to the nexus of what is it? What is it? What do you really need to thrive? Right. 
Um, so you're absolutely right. One of the things that we realized early on is that because this process has been so disjointed in the past, candidates with disabilities don't even often know they can request accommodations nor what accommodations would be available to them. Um, so one of the things we're we're building into our platform is the ability to recommend accommodations to candidates either based on input or data they give us about them or just simply based on the types of jobs they're looking for and what accommodations we know should be able to be reasonably made for those roles. Um, so helping them actually define some of the things that can make them more successful um, in an interview or on the job. And then on the other end, um, shipping that information once they have disclosed over to employers um, equipped with sort of micro trainings where, you know, based on the candidate you're looking at, you can see, you know, what is this accommodation? How do I provide it? Why would someone ask for this? What are the benefits of, you know, people that ask for this accommodation? Oftentimes, you know, you'll have people who ask for a certain accommodation. It makes them excel in something even beyond what, what you would expect from a candidate. Um, and so we, we give them sort of the empathy as a service where they can, they can under actually create an understanding before meeting someone based on personalized to the candidate they're about to meet. And we believe this is a, a game changer in terms of actually shifting people's behavior versus relying on annual trainings to sort of change people's behavior when the time presents itself. Um, at a high level though, when we do onboard companies, we do have an onboarding process that involves more high level trainings, like how do you talk to people and ask about their accommodations, You know, what to say, what not to say, um, just to get people sort of comfortable and confident, you know, in being able to engage with candidates. But at the end of the day, it's it's about meeting candidates, understanding them, providing accommodations. And, you know, it's a flywheel. The more accommodations you provide on the interview, the more likely you'll end up having candidates with disabilities be successful um, and having providing more accommodations internally. Um, and that just will build a more inclusive culture, which will mean more candidates get placed in the future. How do we how do we talk eloquently about kind of the visible versus invisible parts of both disability, but also the accommodations that would go along with that? If you know, sometimes it's easier. I grew up legally blind, so every time I'd feel sorry for myself, I'd I'd see someone that's actually blind, <laughs> and then I didn't shocking, not shocking. Then I wouldn't feel as bad as as a, as I did before. So, but that's visible. That's yeah. something I could see. I could see somebody with a cane. I could see somebody that was blind. So I could see that. Um, but there's a whole host of, of, of things that are invisible to people. So again, having that, that individual be able to audit, uh, understand those things, communicate those things, and also to, to have the discussion with people that maybe aren't as familiar with visible versus invisible uh, disabilities. Yeah, I think that's, you know, one of the sort of norms we're trying to break, which is that historically candidates have been told, you know, if you can hide it until you get a job offer, Right. Um, which actually, you know, in many instances, if you speak to someone who has a visible disability or an invisible, like there's pros and cons to both um, in their view of like, you know, if someone just knows, then, you know, you don't have to explain, but in the end, but on the other side, if you're able to hide it, maybe that gives you a better opportunity to actually get the job and then you can disclose afterwards. Um, but I think that uh, in terms of, you know, getting 
people comfortable with, and, and I think especially invisible, one of the norms we're trying to change is, you know, you should disclose up front. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, our candidates do that on our platform because they know that we're using that data and giving it to the employer with the ability to respond. Right. Um, and that's the difference, you know, on any other site, why would you disclose? You don't know who's on the other end and what they're going to do with the information. Whereas we've built a trust bond with our candidates that if you're disclosing this to us and, and you're going to apply for a job, employers aren't just receiving your resume, but they're receiving these accommodation requests with information on how to provide them and, and how to sort of um, shift potential processes to, in order to accommodate them. What a what a terrible position to be in, in terms of needing an accommodation, but basically not lying. Uh, it's lying via omission, um, but having to be put in that situation to get the job, so that then you could eventually talk about the accommodation that you're going to need, or at least get around to, or or quietly suffer quietly. without it, <laughs> or quietly suffer, which is horrible. The whole. Um, Let's let's talk a little bit about tech because that's one of the things you started off with is actually trying to fix this uh, using tech. What is uh, what's your favorite part of showing or demoing uh, inclusively to people? Um, I would say it is um, showing like the sort of beginning of the user journey where they they pick, you can pick the different accommodations and then how that sort of gets presented to the employer. Um, because when you actually go through the list, people will be like, wait, hang on, stop there. Because they're like looking at this list and they're like, wait, you know, I think initially people's perception is that accommodations are like physical things that cost a lot of money, like right, putting right. in another elevator. And right. instead it's like, no, there's things like bringing your support animal or apps for anxiety or, you know, all these things that are under $500 are free. And I think that it's really interesting, like, I think when we're demoing that and, and people will be like, wait, hang on, that's an accommodation. Like, that's that's something we do already. Um, and they don't realize that, you know, by actually not just having it be something that happens reactively, but proactively, you're, you you can attract more candidates with disabilities. Like, this is an asset to you. Um, and I, I think accommodations will eventually become a company's currency to attracting and retaining talent. The more flexible you are and the more you know, adaptive you can be to different people's needs, like the the more like or the more high rated you will be as an employer. I agree with you, especially if it's genuine. Yeah. Uh, like, like a lot of things, right? If it's if it's not genuine and it's found out that it's not genuine, then it could backfire on you. Um, but if it's genuine, it's actually who you are. Uh, like I could see executives talking about their accommodations exactly. uh, in a very yeah. proactive way and like you know, their bio and when they talk to, to folks. And then that opens up a door for everyone else to then say, well, if she and he's willing to then talk about it, then we can talk about it. And uh, again, again, once you talk about it, then, then you can get into the, okay, well, what are some of the things we need to do to change things? Um, yeah. I, did, I think I, that everyone yeah, can, um, like, I think you just made a good point about starting at the top. Like an accommodation doesn't have to be associated with someone who is identified as having a disability. We right. had um, a, uh, someone join our, um, we hired someone off of our own platform 
um, recently who presented us with, uh, I think she called it her user manual. And it was, you know, kind of about her personality, <laughs> like how she works well, et cetera. And I was like, I need to do this for our yeah. team. <laughs> yeah. And then everyone else should feel comfortable to just kind of disclose, like, this is the type of person I am. Like, I get triggered by these things, but I'm good at these things. And um, I, I actually think it's it's something we've started thinking about. How can we put this into the product where, you know, we're, in, we're, we're encouraging, you know, people at the highest level to start cascading these down because ultimately right. that's that's accommodations it's different for everyone but what's well, well, ubiquitous everyone needs them it's yeah. just how do you define what you need is com completely different than maybe how i would or someone else so what the idea is is to make the the language so mainstream that hr and recruiter or hr and recruiters are t openly talking about their own yeah accommodations and, while they're creating job descriptions and, and hiring for other people yeah and i think if if our our vision is to create one front door for everyone so oh, nice. um, if we can level we can level the playing field for people with disabilities is as you said if we make asking for accommodations and talking about them the norm across everyone for the for the first time uh person let's say um is it easier for them to hire or do you see it play out the way that they, the accommodations that they've done, the accommodations that they know, maybe accommodations that they've already kind of put in place? Is it easier for them to find and, and go after talent that needs those accommodations? Now, the question is diversification amongst yeah. your accommodations, right? So how is that important or do you see that play out? You know, um, I think it's kind of everyone, this industry, just diversity and inclusion in general and and accommodations like i think it's still so in its infancy it's so different like the way right. they do it at every other company what i will say is that um you know people are very inclined if you said like what you were saying about you know if they already provide accommodations they're just trying to double down on that i right. think autism at work while i think it's amazing that you know the the use case for how valuable um candidates with autism are at companies the you know use case is very small that not everyone with autism can be an engineer right. um but we see companies really wanting to like go to that place immediately as like the starting point um and i think it's great because it gets early success really quickly and then it's our job to ex replicate that access across the organization that's how i view it um i think that with some of the high volume high turnover jobs like customer support and call centers, um, those, in my opinion, are are better to start with because there's going to be a more variety of accommodations. Like you're not going to just be attracting candidates with autism. You'll you'll attract all different kinds, um, which gives them them more variety and experience accommodating different people, which makes it easier to replicate it um, across other areas of the organization. Love it. Most recent uh, favorite customer story without brand names or customer names or anything like that, but just a um, way that a customer is has used the platform and that you just absolutely love what they've done. Um, I would say uh, we got a uh, a cust one of our earliest customers. Um, you know, we like were they were one of the first ones. So we we very much handheld them a lot because we were trying to learn too. They were trying to learn. We were super early. Um, and I think that one of one of the more recent stories is 
Like we don't know everyone they're hiring from our platform anymore. Wow. Like we used to know everything. We'd be like, no, we we would be like checking in, heard you're interviewing this person, kind of on top of them, really trying to push them along. And I think the best is when a company starts hiring people and we just learn about it later or or can't actually in this case, we we learned about one of the hires that hadn't been communicated to us because the candidate wrote in and said, um, you know, I'm like 35 years old and this is the first time I'm ever having like health benefits as part of my like package, um, which is amazing. And uh, it, it just shows, you know, this, how this company has just evolved over the past two years. And I think that's really, really important for all companies to understand is like, this isn't like turn the switch on and you'll hire a hundred people. It's a journey. And I think, We've started signing multi-year deals with really big companies, and that's a really good sign that people are now understanding this isn't diversity done just get fixed with access to pipeline. Um, it's going to evolve over time, and it requires work and change. Love it. Last thing is questions that prospects should ask uh, inclusivity. Like who? What 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 questions do you love to hear from prospects and or the opposite? <laughs> Which um, questions do you hate to hear? <laughs> I think it's I love to hear like how are you gonna help us do X, Y, and Z? It it's kind of goes back to what I was right. just saying. Um, and it and X, Y, and Z is not hire a hundred candidates. It's like, how are you gonna help us understand the best way to accommodate people or how are you going to help us? Like, is there a service for this type of accommodation that we should use? Um, those questions indicate to me that they understand how to be successful versus focusing on uh, like end result number before doing the work themselves. It's a, it's a two way street. Um, you know, if if candidates um, if can if th this problem wouldn't exist if all you needed was access to the candidates like they're already applying to your jobs they're just getting filtered out of the process at various different stages so i think the questions i love getting asked are about how to help them change because that's ultimately what we're what we have to do drops mic walks off stage charlotte <laughs> thank you so much this has been wonderful yeah thank you it's fun <laughs> absolutely and thanks for everyone listening to the use case podcast until next time. You've been listening to Recruiting Daily's Use Case Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite platform and hit us up at recruitingdaily.com.